well, not to make a joke of it, but we should have taken a six-month holiday at the end of June. That would have been the best decision. But of course, that's the difference between, say, trading your own money, in which case you could do that, and trading, say, other people's money. You can't say to your clients, well, we made 5% in six months or 8% in six months. Let's stop this for the rest of the year. You would say, well, why would we continue to pay management fees? So you have basically no choice but to be active in the market. It doesn't mean you have to trade, but it's very difficult for a short-term trader to be out of the market for weeks, if not months. This is Luke van Hoff, founder and CEO of Capital Hedge, and you are listening to my year in review on Top Traders Unplugged. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Welcome back, Luke, for this review of 2014, where we look at the big events from the point of view of your trading strategies. I want to explore the ups and the downs, as well as the big takeaway from what can only be described as an important year for systematic trading strategies in general. But as we know, just because you're systematic in your trading, it doesn't necessarily mean that you capture the movements of the markets in a similar way. But before we jump into the first question, because you run a slightly different strategy to many of my other guests, I would appreciate if you just took a few minutes just to remind people about your two main strategies that you run on your side. Okay, sure, Niels. Thank you. So the first strategy, which is called DPI, is Downside Protection and Income, is a strategy which actually is a very short-term trading strategy, and it basically uses two components. One component is a what people could describe as a short-term CTA approach, systematically trading in a directional fashion, sure. which we do in the currencies and in the stock index futures. So that's a relatively common approach used by CTAs, sure. although it's rather short-term. So it's strictly intra-week, and most of the time it's even intra-day. Okay. Now, the second component which is like the opposite of the directional trading component, is of course a range trading or short volatility or non-directional trading component. <laughs> and that's where we use options. In other words, we are selling volatility, we are selling options, of course hedged at all times, sure. but that of course will depend to a great extent of the timing in terms of when do we put on the trade and what happens to volatility more so than what happens to the market, the price as such. And as you can imagine, with the events that we saw in the fourth quarter of 2014, we had very different uh, characteristics and very different return profiles between these two components. The directional trading on the one hand, trading short-term directionally, going for big moves intraday and definitely intraweek, and the other one which is hoping that the market sits still, which of course it didn't do 
as a consequence, that option component suffered quite sure. dramatically. Sure. So that's one program, the DPI program. Yeah. Our second program, which is called VTP, stands for Volatility, Time and Price, is a more, uh, how shall I say, uncommon approach to trading. Okay. Because the main component in the algorithms is trying to play what we call the position sizing element. Right. So it's more like you're going to risk, you want to have some exposure, a certain fraction of the portfolio, let's assume in currencies or in bonds or in real estate ETFs, it's all ETFs. Mm -hmm. And as a function of how the underlying market behaves, you're going to take up the role of a market maker. In other words, you're prepared to buy at lower prices, you're prepared to sell at higher prices. So it's like a gamma scalping strategy. Right. but to a larger extent, slightly wider time frame. And there we use positions for several days, if not weeks. So these are very different programs. One is taking advantage of big swings in the market. And it's probably not going to be a surprise to hear that that one had a great Q4. Sure. While the other program, the short volatility program, got hit by the spike in volatility. Sure. So for some clients, it was kind of a relief that they didn't bet heavily on one program or the other because they could have been very unlucky, very fortunate or very unfortunate. While if you have like a good 50-50 weighting between the two, well, you end up with a decent year if you're invested in the two programs. If you would be betting heavily on the short options program, you would have had a great Q2 and a pretty poor Q3 and Q4. So it's Again, a question of being diversified, which I think is the only free lunch that is available on Wall Street and for trading in general. Sure. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. Now, of course, when you say uh, some of the numbers, I mean, I've obviously seen your, your, your performance numbers. And, and even though you said it was a very, you know, it was a tough year for, for DPI, I mean, uh, the reality is, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the net result was only being, you know, down very, very small for, for the year. Um, but of course, uh, to you, that might be, that might you know, not be such a good year. Um, True. Very true, because it's a very relative thing. Yeah. So if we say we're up 5%, some people might say, well, that is not really very significant, very impressive. Sure. If you then realize that the risk was only 2%, of yeah. course, it becomes a very good thing. Yeah. Now, in DPI, we were down 3%. We didn't risk a lot, but still we lost 3%. Now, people cannot expect to make, say, 15 20% with that program, because it's a low-risk program. So to give you some uh, background in terms of multi-year performances, the DPI program has returned now, as of the end of 2014, a compounded return for the last five years of slightly over 7%, 7.1, which is not great, but it's definitely decent. Yeah. Now, the downside deviation and the drawdowns are about of the same side. Mm -hmm. Like maximum drawdown is also 7%, and the standard deviation is also 6.5. Sure. So we have a sharp ratio, which is now around 1.1, still good, yeah. but uh, nothing dramatic. So all in all, we can say we had a very good start of the year, being up like 5% after two quarters in 2014, which looked like it was going to be a good year. <laughs> and the third quarter was like flat to slightly negative. I think we lost, we gave back 1%, but then the fourth quarter with a spike in volatility, 
was really tough for our type of trading because we are short volatility, we are mm-hmm. selling options. And as you know, we saw a couple of very big moves, like uh, in September we had one. Uh, we had one, of course, through the middle of October and then again in December. Again, the market came back down very briskly, but also rebounded quite dramatically and very swiftly. Yeah. So it's stuff for short option trade. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and when you, I mean, and, and it is interesting, isn't it? Because uh, the first part of uh, 2014 is where, you know, all of the trend followers were complaining and uh, <laughs> you were having a good time and, and vice versa. So, of course, for, for from an investor's point of view, this is what it's all about. It's about finding strategies that are fundamentally different and performs differently. Uh, so, so I think that that is important to, to, to stress. But given those conditions, and uh, given the, the, the uh, market moves we saw, if you look on a market-by-market market basis, uh, what, were the, what were the most profitable and what were the most unprofitable markets, if you look at it that way? Because I know you trade, obviously, uh, a, a few different ones. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, not only is it different from one market to the next, but also different from what strategy we trade sure. on that market. Absolutely. So if I take the example of the S&P, the S&P was a great performer for the directional trading. We had some very significant intraday moves, which we could capitalize on using futures day trading and intraweek trading the futures market. Sure. On the other hand, if we look at the same market, where normally volatilities came down to as low as 10-12% for the VIX, which was like the long-term average uh, around, say, 18%. Mm -hmm. Well, we saw spikes like in October to like over 30%. So this was a dramatic increase in volatility. And you can imagine in that very same market where we could make money trading directionally futures, we got hit significantly having shorted options at a certain VIX level for example, around 18, 20%, and then volatility going through the roof to 25, even 32% in a couple of days' time. So, of course, these positions suffered. But all in all, I think the program, as we conceived it, has been delivering continuously because we don't really regret that we lost money on a trade because at the end of the day, we are trying to take good trades. And good trades is something which is different, I think, for on the one hand, what we could call a seasoned and consistent trader, and on the other hand, a amateur trader. When does an amateur trader feel happy? If he has a trade and he can exit the trade with a profit. Now, a seasoned trader, he feels happy the moment he enters into a good trade. And even if that trade ends up with losses, well, you should remain equally content because you took the trade after rigorous analysis, clear procedures, a good system application, and so on. So there is no regret as such. Of course, it's more fun if the trade, which was a good trade, turns out out to be profitable, but it's not something that you should regret if you took a trade according to the rules, according to the system, and then it turns out to be a losing trade, because that's not exactly what it's all about. It's trying to come up with a good, expectancy, a good mathematical expectation for a certain system, a certain trade, and then you have to take the good trades with the bad trades. And the bad trades are, say, the losing trades, but it doesn't mean that they are bad as such. 
they were done according to the system in line with the procedures that we agreed on beforehand. So that's not what I call a bad trade. A bad trade would be a trade that I shouldn't have taken because I started overriding the system or I said, well, uh, this market has gone up too high. I'm going to get out of the trade now that I have a small profit. And then the market continues for another uh, 20, 30 points. That would be a bad trade, although I made money. So it's a big distinction, I think, between what we could describe as bad trading and good trading. The good trading has to do with implementing the system as you're supposed to do, trading as you should do, independent of the result. Absolutely. So that's, I think, is for us an important thing. And that's why we don't really complain about, okay, we had a bad Q4, but we had a good Q1, Q2, a flat Q3. All in all, we lost money a little bit, but it's not a bad year. We didn't do anything wrong. The market was tough, but it's supposed to be tough at times. It's supposed to be uh, providing us with some serious challenges. And of course, there again, as you hinted before, the power of diversification kicks in. If an investor is invested with, say, a long-term CTA and a short-term CTA, well, that short-term CTA probably has a good time in Q1, Q2, and has a tough time in Q3, Q4, and exactly the other way around for the longer-term CTA. So again, the investor invested with both of them will probably see a nice, decent, average, profitable return. Sure. No, I completely agree, Luke. And, um, and, and I think you're absolutely right. A good day in the office is actually a day where you come home and you know <laughs> you've, done, you've done what the, uh, what the strategy um, you know, uh, was meant to do and, and implemented in an in efficient way. But I do want to ask a slightly different question then, um, because you're right, it's not about good or bad. But let's look at it in another way. Did 2014 and the moves you saw and the uh, returns you uh, captured, did that teach you anything? Was there anything in what happened uh, that, that gave you any ideas or something where you said, well, maybe we should do it a little bit differently or if I can put it that way? Absolutely. I mean, that is why this trading game, if you call it that way, is such a fascinating and interesting thing to do. Because it's constantly evolving. It's not, there is not one year which is like identical or similar to a previous one. There is always something interesting, challenging, what's making it more fun, but also more difficult. So yeah. if I take one example, the fact that the market could show these very quick and swift and steep retracements during a strong rally surprised a lot of people. And you're talking, referring to October, can I, sorry to interrupt you, yes, October exactly. last year, okay. Yeah, yeah. for example, if you yeah. take uh, September 18, to be more mm. precise in terms of dates, we made, at that point in time, a new all-time high in the S&P. Yeah. Subsequently, the market dropped like over 100 points in a couple of days. Everyone was screaming like, oh, this is the end of the, of the rally. It's all, all over now. Volatility went through the roof. Sure enough... On October 15, the market basically bottomed out. And by the end of the same month, mm. we were making new all-time highs. Yeah. So it has only happened twice. I think we looked it up in the S&P specifically since 1956 when they started collecting the data in a more rigorous fashion. Wow. It has only happened twice that the market, which was down more than 6% within a month, at the end of that same month was still profitable. Wow. 
Yeah. So it is a very steep recovery. And these kind of things you don't see very often. Mm-hmm. So you have to account for that, that this kind of very big back and forth movements can indeed take place. Mm. And our estimate and our guesswork or our uh, calculations in terms of what we can we expect, reasonably speaking, in terms of volatility, they can be wrong as anyone else's. Mm. But so the market can actually do anything. It's not like, well, the market can, can't move down 200 points and within a week go back up 250. Well, it can do that. And it proved that actually twice in Q4. If you see what happened in December, same story, the market sold off. And then on December 18 and 19, again, had a very ferocious rally. Mm. And a lot of people, especially market makers, they got hit quite dramatically in the options market again, because they never estimated it or thought it would be possible that the market would be able to recover so quickly in like two days time after having shown such a big, such a big and steep decline, sure. but it can do it. So always be prepared for everything. That's basically the key. Sure. No, absolutely. And it's it's uh, you know it's 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 fascinating actually that so many of these strategies uh, and of course you know none of us was trading back in 1956 when when apparently it happened the first <laughs> exactly. time. But yeah. but it, but it just shows you that. Uh, you know how important risk management is how important the robustness of the strategies um, and it's been very pleasing to me at least to see uh, that generally it was a very robust year for these strategies Uh, but in a year where there were no disasters uh, from a market point of view at least meaning that there were no financial crises and and so on and so forth so it's not just a it's not just crisis alpha that we're we're delivering as as an industry. It, it's actually sure. it's it's actually alpha. But I want to I want to stay with the theme about these um, you know unexpected uh, events. Clearly, there were some themes last year that were big, and and you know Ukraine and 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 certainly oil. Nobody saw oil collapsing fifty percent. Um, but there is a certainly uh, an, another theme that that uh, springs to mind that happened only three or four days ago, which is the Swiss National Bank uh, deciding to uh, abolish the peg to the euro, um, and 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 again this created something that uh, probably, if you look at the statistics, at least shouldn't be able to happen in terms of standard deviation moves and and so on and so forth. Sure. So, I want you to talk a little bit about how you approach this situation and 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 how you uh, dealt with it if you if if you wouldn't mind okay well to a certain extent it reminds me uh, of a conference where i participated in february of 2014 mm-hmm. and we were probably this was in amsterdam uh, on etfs and we probably were like with 200 people in the room and said let's do a little poll mm-hmm. who think that uh, interest rates are going to rally and of the, say, 200 people, only two people said it's not going to rally. Right. Uh, I happen to be one of these two people because just for the fun of it, I said, well, <laughs> if everyone thinks that the market is going to do X, it's probably going to go the other way. Yeah. And indeed, bonds or interest rates did not increase dramatically as people expected. Sure. Now, the same with the Swiss, the Swiss National Bank. Everyone said, well, we are sure that the Swiss franc is never going to strengthen because there is this cap at 120. So let's play a very silly and easy game and make a lot of money. We'll sell puts beyond that 120 level. 
and every time we'll be capturing the premium and that's a fun game to play and repeat. Mm -hmm. So rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. At one point in time, of course, the person or the institution on the other side of the trade is going to say, well, this doesn't make sense. We're not going to continue doing that. So it's a factor which, of course, to a certain extent disturbs or distorts normal market behavior. So when we discover something like that, we had a similar experience with the Japanese Central Bank several years ago, right. where they announced interventions and they said, well, we will not allow this and we will do that if this and that happens. So they can do that and they can continue to do that for a couple of weeks, if not months. But also they have the right and they're entitled to change the strategy. And they're definitely not going to inform us that they're going to change the strategy. Sure. So when they announced in September, I think it was 2011, that suddenly the Swiss National Bank was going to defend the Swiss franc and will take all necessary actions to avoid that the Swiss franc would strengthen too much or too strongly, we say, well, that's like a very important distortion of normal market uh, movements. Right. So we no longer decided to trade the Swiss franc. Okay. So we excluded it from the G5's currency pairs that we had. So apart from the euro, the US dollar, the Aussie dollar, uh, the pound, uh, we said, well, this Japanese yen is still interesting, but the Swiss franc, there is something not wrong with it, but it can't move freely as before. Sure. So euro Swiss and dollar Swiss, which were popular currency pairs for us to trade, were like excluded from the list, mm -hmm. which of course would have provided us with some interesting trading opportunities in the three years between 2011, September, and last week. But of course, we probably would have had a pretty big loss on our books if we would have continued to play the same game. Mm. So in a way, we are fortunate that we decided probably way too soon to say, well, this is not a market we can trade or we can analyze as we analyze, say, Euro-Dollar or Aussie-Dollar against uh, the Yen. This is something whether it's like an artificial obstacle which will prevent it from trading normally. So we can't use our algorithms to treat that market as we treat the other market. So let's not trade it. Sure. So I understand that people say, well, there is now this given in the market. 120 is like a artificial cap. Let's exploit it. Fine. But it's like with market makers. If you know that market makers are going to do something over and over again, and you continue to make money, out of that situation, at a certain point in time, that market maker, usually they are not too dumb, they will understand that it's not a game for them to be continued, so they will change the game. Mm. And of course, if you're then still in the game, you'll end up giving back some of the profits you took before. Yeah. So it's not the kind of trading that you would like to do. So we don't really want to have a market which is not liquid, which is artificially bounded or capped or whatever, then we don't trade. It has to be liquid. Uh, it should be traded freely without any known obstacles. Sure. Because if there are obstacles that are known beforehand, it distorts the picture, it distorts the calculations. Sure. But I guess in, in, in a little while, once everything settles down, the Swiss franc is now a, a, a free currency and, and, and you, would, you would consider it again, I guess. Absolutely. We saw something similar with pound yen in 2008 and 2011 when we had intraday moves of a couple of times more than 1,000 pips in one single day. Mm. 
which was unheard of before. Sure. Well, we couldn't trade it because the spread was like 15, 20 pips during some portions of the day. Yeah. Now, three months down the road, the spread came down to like from 15, 20 to again, two, three pips. And then it became tradable again. If something similar happens with the Swiss franc, when it starts to trade as narrowly as it did, say, in 2005, in 2002, then it's definitely going to be on our list again to trade it. Sure. And I think also what happened, I think, on, on, on Thursday, I guess, is that we are all reminded that whenever authorities go out and say, uh, you know, one thing, you know, uh, we, 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 we can't really take it for granted that they won't do the exact opposite, uh, you know, shortly thereafter. So uh, Exactly. That's a very important point I think you make because it's not that they do something. It's like a market maker. It's like a trader. It's not because we, our system tells us to buy, let's say, to buy oil now. Mm. Assume it says you should go long oil now. For whatever reason, it doesn't mean or it doesn't exclude that the next day it can say, well, we should reverse the trade. Sure. If something significant happens, which is so significant that it can change the market direction or the market bias as we analyze it, well, we should reverse position. And by the same token, a central bank such as the Swiss National Bank, of course, can do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, just uh, because the year is a, a the year end is always a time where you sort of reflect on 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 certain things. Were there anything that, when you look back at twenty fourteen as a whole, maybe looking away from just pure performance, um, it could be you know uh, other things that were significant for you as a firm uh, or, or the strategy uh, as as such. Uh, anything that springs to mind. Well, uh, not to make a joke of it, but uh, we should have taken a six-month holiday at the end of June. That would have been the best decision. Sure. But of course, that's the difference between, say, trading your own money, yeah. in which case you could do that, and trading, say, other people's money. You can't say to your clients, well, we made uh, 5% in six months or 8% in six months. Let's stop this for the rest of the year. You would say, well, why would we continue to pay management fees? Sure. We want you to continue to trade. So you have basically no choice but to be active in the market. It doesn't mean you have to trade, but it's very difficult for a short-term trader to be out of the market for weeks, if not months. So, of course, what that implies for us is that we say, well, we should be able to offer our clients a wider choice in terms of strategies. Okay. If we see, if we notice, if we get convinced that strategy A is no longer in sync with the market or too difficult to trade given the market conditions, well, we should be able to offer another set of trading strategies or another approach which doesn't get hit by these kind of conditions. Mm -hmm. So we discussed it at length in Q4 while we were coping with market volatility, which was spiking and then uh, falling back again to like lower levels. We said, well, we should offer our clients the choice to basically pick and choose from like three, four, five different trading approaches. Okay. And one could be intraday trading if people feel uncomfortable holding positions overnight, okay. holding positions over the weekend and say, well, there is one strategy which is strictly day trading mm -hmm. and let's temporarily switch to that and to that only. They should be able to do that. Okay. Now, of course, there is an, a built-in lag in terms of reporting performance, the client will only see it after the fact. The client will see after a day, after two days, after a week of 
bad traits in a certain strategy that something may be out of line or out sure. of sync or having a tough time. So there is always there is never an optimal time. You, we don't have crystal balls here. So we can't really say, well, we should switch into that strategy now because it's going to be the better performer. Of sure. course, we don't know that. But the big advantage of trading frequently and being in the market nearly con continuously is that you get a lot of feedback from the market sure. and from the returns of the trades. So if you collect, let's say, 10, 20, 30 trades delivered by one specific strategy, say in a week's time, mm. And normally speaking, 40%, 50% of the time, these trades turn out to be profitable. And now only 10% of the trades are profitable. Right. Something is kind of awkward. Something is like out of the ordinary. And it should set off a couple of alarms. Sure. On the other hand, and we had that uh, situation as well, when we were trading options at the beginning of the year, and not like a 50, 55% of trades were profitable, but like, 85, 90% of the trades are profitable. <laughs> sure, sure. We should not get too complacent and say, well, yeah. we found the secret of the market. This is the <laughs> holy grail. Let's put more money to it. Right. Because it's also very cyclical. We yeah. know that these very good times or excessively good times, they can turn around, which they did. Sure. No, that's so, interesting. And, uh, and have you launched then this platform where you can offer these individual strategies uh, or is that something you're planning to do this year? Uh, we are working on that and okay. in the managed accounts we already provide that. So okay. people can before and say well uh, we will be invested in these five strategies mm -hmm. and you pick and choose which ones you want to trade or people can say well we don't, we don't want you to trade forex or we don't want you to trade uh, short volatility like one client in, I think in October, I met with him in, in London. He said, well, I hear so many bad stories about people being short volatility. Let's get out of that short volatility portion. Sure. Said, okay, his timing couldn't have been better. Sure. <laughs> so better than our own timing because we continue trading it. Yeah, of yeah. course, the client was out of it. Sure. So that can happen. So people have the luxury of pulling out of a strategy re-entering in the same strategy a couple of weeks later as they see fit. That, of course, can only be done with managed accounts. Of course, yeah. In a strict program, say like the certificate that we trade for Deutsche Bank, it is like a very strict set that we agreed on with the bank, what we can trade, what markets we can trade. Uh, so there it's a different story. But in a managed account environment, it's really up to the client to, to modify the risk profile, to modify the, the type of strategies that we want and say, out of the portfolio of five different approaches, they can pick one, two, or up to five. Sure, that's very exciting. That's a new innovation and uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, look forward to hearing more about that later in 2015. Now, I wanted to ask you one thing before we start to wrap up and that is, you mentioned it in a sense yourself by saying, you know, we have, you know, we have a client here who comes up and say, I'm a little bit nervous about short volatility trades and so on and so forth. Now, a lot of talk, no doubt, has been uh, about the changes in volatility and a lot of prominent uh, commentators uh, in the financial world. Uh, and I'm thinking here in particular of uh, Mohammed El Arian has been out mm -hmm. saying that the world to him in one word is divergent and we're going to see much more divergence going forward. Um, 
And to a certain extent, I associate that wrongly or rightly uh, with more uh, volatility in, in, in to, 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 um, uh, to accompany uh, divergence because it's essentially um, saying or showing or is a result of the fact that maybe central banks uh, are, are losing some of their, their power. Uh, maybe they are, uh, which they have clearly uh, decided to do different things. And, and that creates... Um, you know, much more of a divergent environment than what we've been used to. Now, given all of that, <clears throat> what do you expect your strategy's reaction to be if we are entering now a new era of, you know, much more divergence in the in in the markets rather than what we saw the last five years, which in my mind was much more of a convergent mm-hmm. uh, environment? Okay, that's a very good point, I think. And uh, when people hint to the fact that volatility is back in town, volatility is back uh, from the low levels back to, say, the more normal levels, I think we even should look at it a little bit more general and say, well, we should not forget that volatility is volatile. Mm. Volatility is not something static. It's not like, okay, the VIX is at 18, it's going to remain between 16 and 20. No, it can, in the same year, goes low as 10, which was like the all-time low, and goes high as 32, mm. and in a couple of weeks' time. So if volatility is changing, we have to build that into the program. And that basically goes back to what we discussed earlier, that at some point in time, you should have some kind of a cutoff level as a stop loss, so to speak, where you say, well, now volatility is too high right. for this kind of strategy. It's no longer worth the trouble trying to trade it. It's like industry strength. If the spread is too wide, with the short-term trading approach where you're like going for, on average, let's say 20 pips, but the spread could be 10, well, then it's not worth the trouble. Sure. Because you'll pay 10 on the in and 10 on the out and you end up with nothing, yeah. even if you have a good trade. So let alone you will have 50% bad trades, mm. so losing trades. So in other words, if volatility is really so high that it excludes you from being to implement your program in a normal fashion, you should be able to pull the plug and stop trading that specific approach. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, that also means that maybe the market is in a big uh, dominant trend, which could be to the upside or to the downside. Sure. You can follow that trend. But of course, you have to build into the equation that volatility being higher, that your stops should be more relaxed. They should be further away, which will implicate, of course, and has as a consequence that your trading size should be adapted, in this case being smaller than normal, because the market can be more volatile. And if you budget for a certain level of risk, then you have to take into account, well, with these kind of swings that are, say, in the cards, you have to take into account that the market may see our account uh, go up and down X percent. And if that's too much for my stomach, then I should alter the trading size. And I think that's an important lesson for 2015. I think most people think that volatility is going to remain relatively high. It's not going to be very quick or very easy, I think, to see volatility levels dropping back down to the low teens, say Mm. 10-12%. It's probably going to remain here with oil and with uh, events such as the S&B action. Nervousness in the market in general, what's going to happen with QE in Europe if that comes out. So there are many factors that will probably 
providers with some incentive to justify a higher level of volatility, which of course means that you have to be able to be open and trade oil, trade real estate, trade bonds, trade S&Ps, trade currencies. So you have to be flexible. I think that's the best word. So being diversified, being flexible, being able to trade short-term trading strategies alongside with longer-term trading strategies, because it's very difficult to predict, and that's something we don't do predicting, what kind of strategy, what kind of market is going to be the winner. So it's probably best to have this balanced approach of different strategies if you're with one specific trading organization or at least having different markets sure. because you can't know in advance which is going to be the big mover. It's very, it reminds me of some of the, the very successful trend followers who don't mind trading 80 or more markets and they only need to be right on a couple of them to have a decent year if they can control the losses on the other ones. Yeah. No, that's absolutely absolutely true. Before we wrap up, uh, I just want to ensure that uh, we've covered more or less uh, the highlights from your point of view uh, of 2014. Is there anything that you want to add here at the at the very end? You think uh, our listeners should, uh, you know, uh, be be mindful about when they uh, when they think about uh, the last year or so? Well, I think the bottom line and the key message for us is uh, some kind of a confirmation, really a true confirmation that we see that the strategies do hold up even under market conditions and circumstances which are extremely unexpected, very volatile maybe compared to what we expected in terms of volatility Mm. and still can deliver returns. And so we are very hopeful and very confident that 2015 is going to be another good year. Sure. Absolutely. Great stuff. Good way to end this. Uh, unfortunately, as I mentioned, it is a short episode, so so I will wrap it up now. But of course, for those who want to hear much more from, from you, Luke, there is uh, a couple of much longer episodes uh, on the toptradersonplug.com website that they can dive into. I do want to thank you again for being on the podcast and sharing your insights. And uh, I want to congratulate you on a, on a, on a solid year. Um, and I want to wish you and your firm all the very best for 2015 and I look forward to catching up with you later in the year. Thank you, Niels. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. All the best. Take care, Luke. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Top Traders Unplugged. If you feel you learned something of value from today's episode, the best way to stay updated is to go on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show so that you'll be sure to get all the new episodes as they're released. We have some amazing guests lined up for you. And to ensure our show continues to grow, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. It only takes a minute and it's the best way to show us you love the podcast. We'll see you next time on Top Traders Unplugged.